Welcome back to the second season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Annika Chapin. Annika is a New York City-based dramaturg and writer and is currently the artistic associate at Goodspeed Musicals in East Haddam, Connecticut, where she scouts and develops new musicals. She was previously the literary manager at Two River Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, where she developed the musical Be More Chill. She taught script and score analysis at Pace University and has contributed to The New York Times, New York Magazine, and Playbill Magazine. She has an MFA in Dramaturgy from Columbia University and a BA from Vassar College. We're going to talk today about the Stephen Sondheim and John Weidman musical, Assassins. Hi, Annika. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. We're going to get started with our Get to Know Our Guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? Well, actually, I have a sort of unusual origin story. because my father grew up loving musicals and works in musicals and still works with musicals. And so I saw my first musical or was exposed to my first musical uh, when I was six months old, actually, because he was working on a production of uh, On Your Toes. So after I was born, at some point, he took me over to the theater mm-hmm. um, and introduced me to the, the house staff and the lights went down and he said that I... I was transfixed by the by the stage. I don't remember the first musical that I ever really went, oh, what is this? Because for me, it was sort of woven into my upbringing in such a, in such right. a way. Right, and yeah, you don't remember the six-month-old experience, probably. <laughs> Not super well. I have some notes on the second act from that right, show, but right. <laughs> no. What is the last great musical you saw and why? Oh, well, I'm biased because I work for a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for the Goodspeed, and we just opened last week a show oh, that nice. I really love. It's a show called Passing Through, and mm-hmm. it's written by Eric Uyoa and Brett Rybeck. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a memoir by this guy, Andrew Forstoffel, who walked across America from Philadelphia to California nice. and started out with a sign that said walking for answers because he didn't really know what he wanted to do with himself mm-hmm. and then switched it to walking to listen and just collected all these stories mm. and so they've made it into this show um, and they've just done it really beautifully I mean the songs go through America different styles yeah. as he travels oh. through and it, it just makes you feel so good about mm-hmm. the country and people it has that same kind of feeling of come from yeah away I was gonna you... say it sounds like that. yeah what older or classic show did you see recently for the first time, and what was your experience with it? Well, I guess the one that would qualify uh, would be High Button Shoes, mm-hmm. which I finally got to see it on because Encore yeah. did it. Music by Julie Stein. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sammy Kahn, and book by George Abbott and Stephen Longstreet. Um, I mean, I work for a theater that does some older shows. Yeah. Um, so High Button Shoes is often, and we we did High Button Shoes before I worked there, so. It's held up as a sort of particular example of a certain style of kind of quasi-operetta show. Mm-hmm. And that, that felt about right for yeah. it. I mean, I thought it was sort of very silly and very fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't 
didn't totally capture me in the way that some of yeah. those shows can. But yeah. but I was like, oh, I get it. You have some really good people doing this, and as Encores always does, and right. some fun songs. It's a, it's a light entertainment. Yeah. What is a musical people might be surprised to find out you love? Um, well, it's funny now that I've been like, oh, light entertainment, whatever. <laughs> um, I really love It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's oh, Superman. Yeah. That one's super fun. Super fun. <laughs> it's super. It's super fun. Yeah. It is super fun. I, I actually no, I didn't see that. I actually saw that at Goodspeed first. Oh, I yeah, think they did it before. in 1992. I mean, oh, it's no. when we talk about shows that you see certain points in your yeah. your childhood that really register. Like right. I remember that production so well. Yeah. It's really one of my favorites. It was at Encore's. It was uh, at Encore's. Maybe like years ago like five so, yeah or six years ago. it's an interesting contrast to high button shoes because yeah. they're both silly mm-hmm. but superman for me actually kind of grounds itself a little mm. bit yeah more and it's hard for me to connect sometimes to something that's right like across the board silly totally like high button shoes is pretty across the board silly um and superman just has enough and it, it also lands i mean the tone of it is so Great, where right. it kind of is just the right amount of mocking yeah. itself, but also taking itself seriously. Yeah, and the lyrics are so smart. Oh, I remember so good. Like the well, the you've got possibilities is like a famous song from it. Yes, but I mean the lyrics across the board are smart because it's uh, Lee Adams who wrote "Bye Bye Birdie." What moves you the most in a piece of musical theater? I just want something to tell me a story. Yeah. In whatever way it wants to tell me a story, mm-hmm. really beautifully. Yeah, and I think Hades Town is a really mm-hmm. good example right now. Yeah, um, which is so unique right. in terms of uh, it's such a creature of a piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the set and the the book and the music and the way it's done all feels like it's telling the same story to such a degree that. And I actually, I mean, I think this is also a, a skill of Rachel Chapkins, mm-hmm. particularly because. Yeah. I felt similarly about Natasha Pierre, mm, yeah. which was that, you know, I think there's some book stuff here. I think there's some things that aren't, aren't totally gelling. Right. It's not a perfect show. And yet when you sit in that theater, you kind of do have a complete experience in a really satisfying way. Yeah. And, you know, earlier than that, I mean, I, I think Light in the Piazza is another mm, good example yeah. of like that. And that was a great example, too, of, I think, Richard Rogers had a quote about the the orchestrations have to match the costumes. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know because it all has to be right. Everybody has to be on the same page, and every everybody has to be serving the same vision. Yeah, and I just Lightning Piazza just felt like it was all so completely itself. Yeah, um, that it was just extraordinary. Who is your favorite hero character in a musical, and who is your favorite villain character? In terms of the villain antagonist, mm-hmm. I have a great fondness and soft spot for really buffoonish men. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love those characters. Yeah. Uh, so, and fun, part of it, I think, is because I went to an all-girls school mm-hmm. and I was tall and had a yeah. low voice, so I always had to play men. <laughs> and so, and so, and and I look at these parts and I'm like, that's what I would have played. That's my right. part, right, which right. is absurd. But um, so Miles Gloriosus is one of them. Mm-hmm. That's from Forum. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who's such a? I mean, it's the Gaston roles. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of comedian. Oh, Gaston. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Miles Gloriosus, uh, the dentist in Little Shop, is mm-hmm. another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of buffoon, or Carl uh, Magnus in mm-hmm. Little uh, Night Music. Yeah. I just I love them so much. In terms of a duo. Mm-hmm. 
I would probably have to give it to Javert and Valjean. Mm, yeah. Because I think their stories are so interestingly uh, interwoven, right. and that's such a complex. And the fact that they're one of them is Valjean, you know, JV, and one of them is VJ. Oh. Yeah. It's, that's something that I feel like you just internalize, but never really yeah. think too much about. You know, they're these doppelganger characters, right. the JV, VJ. Um, uh, and they have, they're actually, they have the same want, yeah. really, which is they both want to do good. They just have extremely different definitions of what that is, right. you know? So for Javert, it's like, you can't be a criminal and a good person. And for Valjean, it's like, you have to be a good person regardless of what the circumstances are. It's mm -hmm. like rules versus sort of yeah. uh, just a general like morality. Um, and I, you know, I always say, so you have these two characters and they're going on this kind of parallel path that's also diametrically opposed to each other. Right. And then they, when they both get to this sort of turning point moment in that show, mm -hmm. they have the same song. They sing the same thing. Which you know, song is that? It's I Am Reaching But I Fall. It's this, uh, this little piece of music mm -hmm. that they, Val, Valjean sings it when he's been given after the candlesticks. Where he's like, yeah. whoa, something has happened that had made me think that maybe my way of life is not the way it was. Mm -hmm. And then after Javert sees that Valjean carrying Marius might actually be someone who is a good person, even though he's a criminal, right. and he's standing on that bridge, he sings the same thing. Mm -hmm. And he can't, well, I think he's, yeah, shortly thereafter, yeah, yeah. he sings it right before he jumps off the bridge because for him, right. he can't live in a world where that can be true, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is also true of their character. So I'm yeah. like, that's their mu the music is telling you that they're reaching the same crisis moment, mm. which is the same. Yeah. And how they handle it is where they're going from here. So right. that's what music can do in a musical. We're going to talk about assassins, and I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. I I have talked more about assassins than I have any other show, I think, and I will yeah. continue to do so until it's the day so I die. It's fascinating because this was never a big Sondheim show for me. That's not uncommon. It's, yeah. it's an interesting, I don't want to say outlier because all of his shows are sort of outliers right. in some way, but um, yeah, it has a very devoted group of fans and then other people, I mean, it's a very odd show. <laughs> yeah. So would you say this is your favorite show? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's my favorite show. I don't think there's a show that I delight in analyzing as much as I love mm -hmm. this one. I feel like every time I encounter it, every time I read it, every time I listen to it, I find something new. But I also find that the message of this show is something that, A, I've never seen another piece of theater or necessarily a piece of art in the same way articulate. Mm -hmm. And I think it it does something tremendously important, which is to put you in the experience of someone who you would have thought you would have never have understood. Right. And I also think that it's a message that is an urgent message. I mean, this show was written in 1991, but it's if you read it, if you listen to it, it, it's only more relevant as it goes through time. And I read it this morning again, and I, you know there was stuff that jumped out at me that you would have thought was written right now. I mean, right. you know, Booth says the country is not what it was. And I'm yeah. like, that's make America great again. Right, right. On some level. You know, it's like, it's it's addressing, it's it's really hitting 
something about America and the American dream that is vitally important. Right. And also is a hard message to give. And it, the way that it does it is so brilliant yeah. that I just feel like that combination of things just makes me in awe of it every mm-hmm. single time. And it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like you see it, I feel like, you know, two years ago when we saw it at Encores, it was mm-hmm. like, now we're, you know, in the Trump presidency. So yeah. everything's like, about that is heightened mm-hmm. in 1991 or 2004 when it was revived. I don't know how that message, I can't remember how I received that message at that time. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like, because we know now looking back that all this stuff was always there and yeah. always brewing. Yeah. And it took till, you know, the Trump presidency to really understand what that was. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's interesting, like, yeah, now we, wa- we watch Assassins and we see it in this, like, completely different way. Yeah. Um, but then I look back and I'm like, how did I see that? How did I yeah. view that show yeah. before that, you know? Well, and it's also interesting because I think in some ways the last thing this show is about is assassination, right. actually. Right, You know, um, and I think it's very clever that that's what it is about. I think, I mean, when I think about it now, most often is when there's another school shooting mm-hmm. because I think, the, or another shooting in general, because right. that notion that the American dream isn't possible to everybody, but the loophole is if you want to be rich and famous and successful and you can't figure out how to do that, mm-hmm. people have figured out how to be famous. Right. And how to at least get more powerful. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we have to address, which is that the narrative this country is built on is, you know, just work hard, just go for it. You can have it all. You can do it. Yeah. And what this show is saying is like, well, that's not really possible. And right. then what happens when people who can't have that mm-hmm. are feeling like they're cheated and right. feel like they're owed something that they were promised. Right. And what they were promised on some level was was fame. And so now they can find a way to do it in a different way, which is what keeps happening in this country. Mm-hmm. I think that people are unhappy, yeah. feel cheated, and decide to become famous in this really horrible way. Yeah. So until we really try to get in the skin of that question, I think we're going to be continuously in trouble. Right. And I'm not saying, obviously, that's the only solution, mm-hmm. like gun control would help. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I think that this, this piece of art asks us to really dive into that question and really ask yourself... I mean, I think it's scary to mm-hmm. say to someone, like, I'm going to ask you to try to understand a murderer. Right. I'm going to ask you to try to to see it from their point of view for a second. I think people get very thrown by that. Right. But I think you have to. I mean, I think theater is about radical empathy in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's like the best way you can try to understand someone else is to put yourself in their skin to the best yeah. way you can. And this allows us to do that. One of the things that I love about the show is the word listen mm-hmm. is said... I mean, someday I'm going to go in and actually count how many times. But it's... <laughs> so many times in this show. If you just read the show, paying attention to when somebody says, listen, tell them till they listen. Someone tells a story, you know? Right. It's asking you to pay attention in a way. It's all structured as like, there's a balladeer. Everything's a ballad. Everything's a story. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so the, it, the fact that it has this message and it's also just kind of saying to you, like, you, we have to look at this. Mm-hmm. We have to dive in. We have yeah. to laugh at this and we have to be horrified by it and we have to just address it yeah. because it's not going to go away. Right. And some of it, and you know, and, and it's not only about the villains in the world. It's a, you know, the, I mean, there's a number, the Zangara number mm-hmm. is making the point that the public wants to be famous just as much as he does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about like, oh, this is with this, what a great vacation we had. Oh my God, are you the press? Like, yeah. this makes our vacation so right. worth it. I was like, they say been... there's, there's, it's not always from their perspective because then yeah. you have the, well, you have the How I Saved Roosevelt one. Yeah, that's exactly song, right. Which yeah. is from people who are just like puffing themselves up yeah. for, whatever they think they did yeah. to be heroes in that moment. Right. Not pulling that stunt, no gentleman pushes their way to the front as they move to the back, which he does with a grunt, which is how I say Roosevelt. Then, well, I'm in my seat. I- and that's the kind of, like, quote-unquote normal voice, but in mm-hmm. some ways, like, what, what Zangara is saying right there is the same thing as what they're saying, which is like, oh, my God, you know, you're, you're, where, where's the camera focused? Right. So the show is also making that point, too, where it's like, these are not freaky deaky weirdos who right. are these are people that just acted yeah <laughs> and these the, are people that just went as too far or yeah whatever. whatever their reasons are it's it's not something that's not present in our culture in general yeah. you know they're not just like psychopathic monsters who aren't behaving the same way we all are they're responding to the same things that yeah. we've all been told they're just doing it in a very different manner yeah i listened to this as an album mm-hmm. in high school so mm-hmm. much and it actually functions uh, as a song cycle, with, yeah. and they've included that final scene, which is so key, and thank God they did that. I mean, that's brilliant album, album producing. So it's theatrical experience if you listen to it only, right. in addition to being a piece of theater that you see. I feel like they have to include that final scene. Like the, They kind of do. That final scene, like the whole crux of the show is not a song. It is a scene, yeah. which is like, that's why in some ways I'm like, this is John Weidman's show. <laughs> yeah. The book writer, like, tour de force. Um, but it, it's just so fascinating to me that, like, mostly the whole thing is song. I mean, there are some scenes in there, but yeah. know, it's, it's kind of like this review style yeah. format. And then you get to that scene and, like, the music cuts out. Yeah. And it's like this really long, brilliant scene, but it's a musical. Yeah. And, like... Usually in a musical, you know, certain serious things are done in scenes, but yeah. like turning points, big moments, yeah. like that's, you know, where the songs usually go. <laughs> usually go. But that's part of what's interesting about the yeah. show is, you know, it's, it's structure is unique. I mean, you can't yeah. really, it's, it breaks all of its own rules right. several times over the course of the show. It has none of the conventional hallmarks of musical theater structure and yet it com- it works mm-hmm. as this kind of unique creature it is this the scenes and songs are like just on equal footing here like that's yeah. just the songs you know are scenes mm-hmm. and the scene that scene is basically like a song in a way yes so this scene yes is um lee harvey oswald mm-hmm. in the book depository um he's gone there ostensibly to kill himself because he's so depressed, and um, but instead, all the uh, assassins appear <laughs> and um, c- kind of convince him to that actually shooting the president as he drives by is is the actual way to go. 
I mean, obviously he's the one that decides to do it, but it's like kind of like this push, like that in some ways takes a little agency from him maybe, but like... Well, but I would say no, because first of all, he's not quite going to kill himself because he's so depressed. He's Mm -hmm. killing himself because he's, he feels that he's failed at everything. He just, nobody pays attention to him. Yeah. And his wife has left him and everybody thinks he's pathetic. And so it's, it's almost kind of like his suicide he imagines to be a sort of like, you'll be sorry when I'm gone Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, Booth takes the primary debating voice in that. Um, but the, but the arguments that he makes are sound arguments. I mean, there's a moment in that scene where, um, he says to Lee Harvey Oswald, like I'm John Wilkes Booth Mm -hmm. and, Oswald says, you know, that's impossible. John Wilkes Booth killed Lincoln. And he says, attention has been paid. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you can't argue with that. Yeah. You can't. That John Wilkes Booth is super famous right. forever because he did this thing. So, like, the 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 way that Booth is trying to sell it to mm-hmm. Oswald is, yeah. you know, people will hate you, but they'll hate you with a passion. Yeah. And he says, you know, imagine anybody feeling passionate about you. Right. And it's horrifying because he's not wrong. Right. This guy who's a blip and a nothing is going to become something famous and big and known um, for doing this thing. And it's terrifying. One thing that they say that I keep thinking about, because I don't know if I quite understand it, is that like without you doing this, we are not as powerful. Or like we Mm -hmm. won't be as... Yeah important or powerful without you which I don't know if I quite understand yeah what they're saying there I mean I would say and some of that we'll get into when we talk about another national anthem Mm -hmm. because some of that's in there too right um because that's also a structure of the show thing really where uh we've been exposed to all these different stories but all of them have just been presented sort of as stories. The mm-hmm. reasoning is le- is kind of this and that and whatever, and the president yeah. is this and that and whatever, and some of it's over- silly and right, like right. or presented as kind of absurd, like Sarah Jane Moore, who's mm-hmm. sort of never you never really know why she's sort of feels like sh- attempting to shoot a president is right. going to solve anything in her sort of suburban life. It's very right. unclear. Um, so in the structure of the show, it's they need Oswald and they need JFK uh, to rem- to remind, to make them not historical blips, to remind people mm-hmm. of what it actually means when this happens. Right. You know, that this, the consequences of assassination are not just something in a history book, mm-hmm. but they're something that can really bring a nation to its knees right. in the way that that JFK's assassination really did. Yeah. And I think the show is working on an assumption that, I mean, in 1991, some of the audience, a lot of the audience would have been alive when that right. happened. And even if you weren't, um, you know, you know, yeah. you know, you know, you've heard your parents tell the story about where they were when they found out right, and right. just how much that broke the heart of yeah. the mean, entire country. Da- like I went to Dallas and I went to that area and it's still, it's chilling. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. So it's that kind of sense of like, all of these weird little stories from history. I mean, not so much Lincoln. Obviously, that also holds a, a very um, 
real place in our yeah tra- traumatic imagination but right we just don't feel it as viscerally we as don't feel it as viscerally jail. and we certainly i mean these other ones you probably would never have known right. a lot of them right you know and so i think it's that it's that sort of like oswald is the one who can actually bring the consequences to light in a much more real way and this this makes them a group right this is why you write a show about them yeah <laughs> Yeah, this makes them a group and um, a group with a common m- message and myth mm-hmm. and, and origin and desire, I think. Yeah. Which is not only shared by assassins, which is the important part. You right. Know? It's not only presidential assassins, it's everybody who feels like mm-hmm. the national anthem doesn't really apply to them. Right. But not the winners. It's for the losers, as they say. I was actually then going to skip to something just broke. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Which um, was uh, not in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they put it in, I guess, in like a, a between the original and the 2004. Yeah, they put it in for the London production. Right. Which I don't remember correct. what year that was, but. I don't either. Something, something in between 91 yeah. and 2004. Mm-hmm. And so then it. It is in the 2004 version. And I forget, it, it was in the Encores version, I think, the one they yes. did two years ago. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it seems that people have very mixed reactions yeah. <laughs> to the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of seeing the people talk through those reactions, I feel like I kind of do too. Like, yeah. do we need this song in there? What is it doing? Yeah. I mean, I think what it's doing is providing providing a, a reminding the audience mm-hmm. of the the like normal human reaction to mm-hmm. what these assassins means. It's overtly showing the consequences right. of what Oswald has just done after you've seen him make that choice to do it. Because mm-hmm. um, it does obviously show all the people, like the people in America, being heartbroken after the assassination happens, right, and, right. and how there is something that just is not the same ever again in the country. I was out in the yard taking down the bed sheets when my neighbor yelled across. I remember where I was, just exactly where I was, in the yard out back. I was getting me a shoe shine, folding sheets, when I heard we, we were, were waiting, waiting for a carriage. Newsboy, suddenly they're shouting in the street. Lizzie's sheets, the president's been shot. I'll remember it forever. And I thought, where I was, what I was doing, something just broke. The president's been shot. My God. To me, mm-hmm. and good lord, I'm going to sound like a dark psychopath on this <laughs> on this podcast, but I I am team. I prefer it without something mm-hmm. just broke. Yeah, because I don't need to be reminded right. of that. I don't think that you forget necessarily. I mean, even though I, as I said, the people are not held to be entirely innocent when they pop up here right. in the country. There are people in the country throughout the show. Um, and I don't think you need to be reminded of 
what that felt like yeah. and how much that broke a country. Now, as we get further away from the JFK right. assassination, it's right. an interesting art, art, argument that maybe people will because they won't. It will be sort of consigned to history in a way that it's very. It still feels fresh for us now. Yeah. Um, but to me, there's tr- there's there's a tremendous power of um, another national anthem, which kind of shifts the balance of the power to the assassins mm-hmm. in a real way. Um, then the scene with Oswald, where you're suddenly like in this dark place where you're mm-hmm. starting to kind of hear them and hear yeah. their arguments in a way you haven't really before. I mean, and then after that, if you go straight from there to Everybody's Got the Right, which is basically sort of reasserting the American dream, but now for this incredibly dark purpose. Right. To me, there's something that serves that that builds yeah. in that progression. And I think you're left feeling sick. Mm-hmm. And as you should. Right. And like we have a serious problem in this country, as you should. Mm-hmm. So I think taking the break to kind of be reminded that everybody's heart was broken right. actually just isn't helpful to yeah. me. Yeah. I feel like I'm more toward that end of it too, <laughs> that side of it yeah. too. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people it is so confronting to see mm-hmm. these murderous villains portrayed with any sort of, um, with any question of like, could you understand what these people are doing? Right. Or could you try to understand? Or could you, uh, not? it's not sympathy quite, but, yeah. but expecting you to, for a moment, empathize with them. Right. I think is really confronting for a lot of people. And so I think this song is for those people too, where it's, mm-hmm. it gives you a little moment of like, no, let's, we're resetting what's normal. Yeah. You know, just reminding you of like, there are people out here. Most right. people think that let's this is not, this yeah, let's go back yeah. to like, oof, let's take a break from like being in this like crazy hellhole yeah. of what these people are thinking to like step back out. So uh, for that, that's good. But for yeah. me, I think, you know, you're on the ride. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're so on the ride. Those are just two versions of the show: one for people like you who don't want it or don't need it, and then one for the people who do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I also kind of a little bit feel like if you if you can't go on the ride, if it's not the ride for you, then mm-hmm. it's not the ride for you. And if I don't know, yeah. I'd be interested to talk to someone who who really felt like something just broke was key to their liking and understanding of this show right. because I'd be interested to see how they what what it provided for them. Yeah. Speaking of more revisions mm. of the show. So I remember also it was like a big thing that the 2004 production that the balladeer and Hartley Harvey Oswald were the same. Yes, I have so many thoughts on this. <laughs> um although apparently it was something I think they considered for the original. Oh, I, interesting. Yeah, um because I wrote my thesis partially about that, um, mm-hmm. and I remember somebody correcting me where it was like, um, that was not, it was not a new thing for that revival, actually. It had been something that had been sort of considered at some point. So that's another very bold choice to make. Yeah. Um, because if the, the balladeer is, for lack of a better phrase, the sort of like normal voice, he's our way in. Mm-hmm. The he's storyteller. The storyteller, yep. He's the guy that, that voices the kind of like, this is a cra- this is a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not gonna 
help anything. You know, America is built on dreams and like this is a good place. So in the beginning, in the Ballad of Booth, you know, his first line is someone tell the story, which mm-hmm. is so key to this whole show. But he also says every now and then a madman's bound to come along, doesn't stop the story, story's pretty strong doesn't change the song. So he's the one who's kind of been saying like all of what you're going to see is a blip. It's yeah. like a dark thing. You know, every now and then the country goes a little wrong. Right. So there is a right and sometimes we diverge from it, but we'll be back, mm-hmm. you know. And he takes on interesting roles throughout the show. He sometimes will voice one of the assassins point of view when asked to, he does for yeah. Booth. But he comes back and basically, I mean, at the end of Booth, he says to him like all you did was make uh, Lincoln, who got mixed reviews because of you, John, now gets only, only raves. Right, like, he right. makes the good point of, like, well, you thought you were doing this, but, like, guess what happened? <laughs> you kind of ruined it. So right. he's our voice of reason, and we identify with him, both because he's the narrator and we naturally go with the narrator, but also because he is a person who is sort of a, a conventional way of thinking and right. a healthy way of thinking, which is kind of like murdering presidents is wrong and bad and you should not do it and that is not what our country is about and i guess kind of like someone looking at the history like the way Mm -hmm. like in school you know yes exactly yeah looking at the history books yeah like yeah and it's presented that way too you know it's it's he's the he's the balladeer he sings the ballad he tells you the story songs um so in another national anthem something very interesting happens which is that his perspective starts to get taken over by the assassins mm-hmm. um, in a way that that we actually I understand because he starts to voice a sort of like too pat version of the American dream mm-hmm. about like the usherette's a rock star and the mailman won the lottery mm-hmm. and this kind of like different kind of American dream which feels like this is not what we're talking about you yeah. know we're not talking about like you can win the lottery and like right. you'll be a movie star if you just like <laughs> You know, it could happen to you. Like, it just seems kind of pat and... Right. And so when the assassins start to kind of say in that song, like, what what are you talking about? Like, this is... We were promised something, and, like, there's another national anthem, and that's it's not going to happen for us. Mm -hmm. And they start to get more powerful there. Um, The balladeer just kind of gets squeezed out of that song. Yeah. And in some productions, he's just gone. He's basically been pushed away. Right. Um... And if you do that, it's powerful because you've lost your voice of reason and you're on your own now. You're sort of, you have to, as an audience member, reconnect with what you're seeing without this guide. Right. And narrator figures just naturally make you feel like everything's going to be okay anyway. Right. Because they're out of time a little bit and they're usually all knowing and you feel like, okay, well, he's here and he knows what's going on. He's telling us the story or he's guiding us through it. So, yeah. They seem like capable hands. Exactly, (laughs) right. And, like, nothing too crazy can happen here because there's this sort of sense of, like, I know what I'm doing. Let me tell you what is happening here and I I know the future. And um, Sondheim actually, many, a few of Sondheim's shows have a narrator that disappears or Mm -hmm. gets eaten by the text or something like that, which I think is kind of brilliant because it, really pulls the rug right under out right. from under you because it's doubly your sense of safety going away. Yeah. You know, Into the Woods it happens. It happens in Pacific Overtures as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Into the Woods is probably the most, like... Yeah, overt. Overt. <laughs> <laughs> Literally gets killed. Yeah, um, and then gets eaten. Yeah, eaten by the, the giant, um, by the character's right. sacrifice. 
but yeah, so you get this, like, you're forced to kind of reframe your relationship to what's happening on stage because now right. all of the rules are gone and all of the safety is a little bit gone. So if the balladeer is pushed out of the show, then already it's like, okay, all bets are off. Yeah. We're in, we're in no man's land now. You know, yeah. we really don't know what's going on. So that's one thing, and it's bad enough. Although the balladeer also kind of comes and goes, so it's not like he's been there the entire time for us. Right. Um, if you have the balladeer come back as Lee Harvey Oswald, mm-hmm. it's so much worse. Because <laughs> then what it's saying is not only has the voice of reason been pushed out of the show in favor of these assassins who are saying, like, you can't just tell us that we're going to win the lottery and everything. Like, mm-hmm. your breed of optimism is not welcome here anymore right. because it's a lie. Um now what it's saying is that he's actually sort of been won over to their cause, mm. ultimately. You're watching our voice of reason become the worst of all of yeah. them. It's kind of like a no-hope situation. It's a true no-hope situation. <laughs> like, like, they've sort of convinced him. Yeah. Because all this time, you know, it, it's basically extending the Lee Harvey Oswald con, uh, conversion mm-hmm. throughout the entire show. You know, yeah. that he's... He starts out totally good, and he ends up kind of the worst of all of them. So it's even more... I mean, this show is a brilliant example of, like, lobster in the pot when, you know, Mm -hmm. you turn the heat on and you don't even realize you're cooked. Yeah. Um, Because the show really does that. You're laughing at it. You're sort of like, these... Whatever. I I feel like I'm in a safe, happy place here with this kind of dark comedy thing. Right. And then with some moments of, of tragedy and sadness and everything, but then... When you get to that last scene, you're like, oh, wow, this is very different. And if the balladeer has become Lee Harvey Oswald, then you really are left with no guide. And it's very, very, it's it's a dark way to go. But I think it it really emphasizes the point the show makes, which is that it could be anybody. Right. You know, you don't have to be a crazy person to to understand why someone would do this and to to maybe go down that path yourself. Right, right. Maybe. It could happen to you. Yeah, and, and <laughs> hopefully it won't, because right. hopefully what you'll realize is, you know, we have to, you have to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I guess also the, there's, like, the balladeer and the proprietor. Yes. And what, it, like, what is the proprietor's role? Why don't yeah. they also get folded in? What is going on? <laughs> the proprietor is definitely something that I've wrestled with probably most of anything in this mm-hmm. show because I I don't feel like it's totally well formed honestly I don't mm-hmm. totally it doesn't feel completed the yeah. proprietor thing mm-hmm. um, I often forget that the first number of the show is is the first number of the show mentally I often think it just starts with someone tell the story mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting way to do it too yeah. you could just do it that way um, I'm a big believer in the dramaturgy of forgetting. <laughs> it's just like, if your brain erases it from a show, it, right, it, right. there's a reason. Um, but they're sort of set up to be the angel and the devil a little mm-hmm. bit. The proprietor is the one who's like giving them the guns and right. saying like, here's the idea, like do this in the first place. Like he's the first one who says, come on and kill the president. Right. So he's sort of the dark force that's driving them towards it. Mm-hmm. But then he just kind of doesn't come back in the same way that the balladeer maintains it. Mm-hmm. Although in the revival, the proprietor does sing another national anthem, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a really good choice because it, it, it makes it more overtly like this perspective versus this perspective, right. you know, the, the two national anthems. I mean, the comedy is something that's like completely mm-hmm. unusual too, because it's, 
a lot of it is very comedic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, what is the intention of that? And specifically sort of doesn't laughing at these people kind of perpetuate the what made them do this in the first place a little bit. Right. And I guess it's kind of like, what is the intention of laughter in theater in, yeah. <laughs> in general? Yeah. Like, for, you know, yeah. various yeah. things. But, um, yeah, but I... I mean, you kind of, in some ways, just like from a sitting in the audience perspective, you just kind of need to laugh sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, but I think in this one, it's serving a very specific purpose. They're isolated. They feel laughed at. They feel like nobody takes them seriously. Mm-hmm. And then we're laughing at them. Right. And what is that doing? Is that kind of like... And what I think it is, is not so much let's laugh at these weirdos, but mm-hmm. I think it's it makes you a little bit complicit in... What happens? Yeah. I mean, I think that is partially the point. That you, I mean, I, yeah. You know, you you do dismiss them a little bit because they're funny and they're silly, and yeah. you know, you know, uh, Gateau wants to be the ambassador to France, and he's got these big things, and you're like, this is this is a crazy man. This is a funny crazy man, and he's right. so charming, and he's so out there <laughs> that it's so easy to kind of feel comfortable just laughing at the clownery of it, and then you later realize like how dangerous it is to dismiss right. any of these people yeah because you're what they what they're doing and what they're feeling is very is very serious in terms of its potential consequences mm-hmm. you get away with a lot if you make people laugh while you're doing it and i think this show's point is you know you there's something much more sinister going on and you can't you can't just brush it off or put it to the side mm-hmm. um but also, I think if the show came at you presenting all of these things as, as extremely serious, then it wouldn't be serving its purpose either. Right. Because also, some of their some of their reasonings are silly. I mean, they're not they're not fully formed ideas, you know. And yeah. so it's you would what, try to assassinate someone right. because your stomach hurt, and you know they were in Miami, and Miami was warm, so it was better for your. I mean, it's like yeah. so odd and random yeah. and sort of general that you're like wow this huge thing you're gonna do is because of this yeah but the point is not that it's because of those things it's the point is ultimately it's because of this other thing which you have to be aware of as the real reason sarah jane moore and, and squeaky from have just straight up comedy scenes yeah their thing with gerald ford is so farcical mm-hmm. it, there's no other way to possibly interpret it yeah you know and sarah jane moore is hilarious right and and she's i think she's in here because she's providing a little bit of levity but like yeah. bick is a great example too right. his monologues are very funny yeah until the moment that they're really not because yeah. the point that he's making is really good yeah which is right before another national anthem so right. we're, we're already primed to be in that place and they aside from unworthy of your love which yeah. is kind of a duet but those characters don't really have songs do they uh no they don't those are the only songs yeah yeah which is also kind of interesting like they're mm-hmm. they're like there for like these scenes they have their role is like these scenes yeah of the, yeah it's not like everybody gets a song you yeah know, kind of no thing. no it really isn't but that's what i mean about it it breaks its own rules yeah it's like it it just is following its own path yeah. so much as a, as a show. It's kind of, if you mapped it out, it would look wild. One thing I, st- I do want to talk about is Unworthy of Your Love. Oh, because yeah. Because mm-hmm. that is the first song from the show that I did know before yeah. seeing it and yeah. just like how seductive that song is. Because yeah. like, if you don't know the show, 
and you just hear the song. And it's just, you know, this 70s style, like, you know, love ballad. And, like, and then you know the context of it, Mm -hmm. and you're like, wait a minute, you know, this is not what they're singing about. They're Mm -hmm. singing about being obsessed and wanting to murder people. Jody, tell me, Jody, how I can earn your love. I would swim oceans, I would move mountains, I would do anything for you. What do you want me to do? I am unworthy of your love, Jody, Jody. It does capture that sort of duality in the show of something beautiful and and you feel for these people and you totally understand yeah, their... Yeah, and you get kind of swept up in you it. You do get swept up in You're it. You're like, oh yeah, like yeah. there's that guitar and, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and before really interrogating what it's what it is, like yeah. what it's about. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because a lot of it is, the lyrics are so clever because... Mm-hmm. A lot of the lyrics are something that don't feel out of place with uh, in a song like this. You yeah. know, I would die for you, yeah. and like things yeah. like that, and these kind of really intense, like you are wind and water and sky. This right. like you're everything to me, and it makes you realize a little bit like how fine that line is between mm-hmm. just a normal love song about like, oh my God, I would die for you, like you're everything right. to me, and this very sick interpretation of it, which is these two people who literally are i mean mm-hmm. a cult member yeah. of charles manson and someone who is who is going to try to kill president reagan for jody foster you right. know like that it's it's again making that point about the line between like something healthy that we consider normal and something that's unhealthy right. and potentially very dark is a very and fine line very dangerous it's also very unusual for song to write a kind yeah. of like in the pastiche of all the musical styles in this show and he does that so brilliantly the like cakewalk for for Gateau and the you know the Kentucky ballad for Booth mm-hmm. and all these different styles and him writing a 70s pop song is kind of an interesting thing you just don't hear it from yeah, him yeah yeah it's I mean it and, and in that way it feels so deliberate yeah let's talk about uh another national anthem we're going to talk about it for the why is this so good section so why did you pick this song uh, for to talk about why is, why it's so good. Well, I figured if we were talking about assassins, we should talk about specifically why one of these songs is so good. Mm-hmm. And another, another national anthem is a song that is not super melodically beautiful, but it is a really stellar example of um, so much drama happening in a song. It's a it's a narrative song, and it. It's of vital importance in the show because over the course of it, it shifts the power, mm-hmm. uh, turning the assassins from this kind of group that we've been laughing at, that we've been learning about, that we haven't really necessarily been taken very seriously as a, um, as a sinister force, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. We go into it thinking of them as the others, as mm-hmm. we have throughout the show, 
And then by the end of the song, they've taken control of the narrative. So they are suddenly the people in the front of the, of the narrative. This first section, I think what's key about it is that it's, it's sort of under this lamentation under. Um, but then on top, we're just getting all of these, those, I did it for this, I did it for that, I did it for this, I did it for that. Right. And, and it's, I think it's supposed to just kind of whiz past us. When we suffered in the South, I deserve a fucking I prize. I think it's like a new trial and Charlie would get to be a witness and he'd be on TV and he'd save the world. Where's my prize? I did it to make people listen. Because she wouldn't take my phone call. Right before this, Bick had his second, uh, Sam Bick, who attempted to kill Nixon by driving a plane in, who's, a, who's sort of a comedy figure in the show, mm-hmm. um, dressed in like a dirty old Santa suit and like drinking beer in his car and making tapes to Leonard Bernstein, mm-hmm. um, has had a, his second monologue. And at the end of the monologue, he said um, that basically Americans are like kids and... Uh, you go to mom and you ask for an explanation and they say, mom says, go ask your dad and dad doesn't know either. And so we don't know, mm-hmm. like we're looking to our betters and our, our uh, elders and our mm-hmm. figures of authority to guide us. And basically nobody, we want to know that somebody loves us and is looking after us, but nobody's looking after us and nobody knows and nobody loves right. us. So that's what's come right for there. Um, so in this first section, we get that. Uh, and then... It ends with Bick. This section ends with Bick going, nobody would listen. And then we get the balladeer. Mm-hmm. There's that listen word again. Listen again. <laughs> um, and the balladeer here has this beautiful, instead of this like, dang, 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 you get this beautiful melodic, you know, very kind of up. It feels like Copeland. It feels like, you know, it didn't mean a nickel. It just shed a little blood. And a lot of people shed a lot of tears. You made a little moment. You stirred a little mud. But it didn't fix the stomach and you've drunk your final bud, addressing each of them, right? Mm-hmm. The things they were just saying, like right. none of it worked, basically. None of it worked. You did it yeah. for these reasons, but none of it worked. Um, and they never said we're sorry. And it's building. Mm-hmm. This whole part is building musically. And you've drunk your final bud and it didn't help the workers and it didn't heal the country and it didn't make them listen and they never said we're sorry. Yeah, it's never gonna happen, is it? No, sir, never. No, we're never gonna get the prize. No one listens. Are we? Never. No, it doesn't make a bit of difference. Bix just cuts him off. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. never gonna happen, is it? No, sir, right? We're never gonna get the prize. So already, we immediately we have this jarring thing, mm-hmm. which has not really happened yet, yeah. which is the balladeer being the narrator, being like, none of this worked, but let me tell you, like, this is how it goes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the assassins are just like, no. Okay, fine, they just cut him off. Yeah. So then we go back to this, no one listens, are we never, no sir. And it's all very sharp, just fuck it, spread the word, where's the prize? Um, and then we go back to the balladeer, and this is where it's so interesting because it's back to his, I just heard it on the news. It's this beautiful sort of optimistic sound, mm-hmm. but it's just so, it just feels so trite, yeah. you know? Try again. He says, yeah. when you lose, what you do is try again. Yes, exactly. And, and that both feels trite and is going to be the seed of what really turns this song. Just heard on the news where the mailman won the lottery goes to show when you lose what you do is try again you can be what you choose from a mailman to a president 
like ballad ear. That is not the point. Right. You, as an audience member hearing this, mm-hmm. are not on the ballad ear side right here. Right. Because even though you're not on the assassin side yet, you know that what they're addressing here is stuff that is more important than whether or not they can be a rock star or a Wall Street, you know, kingpin. Right. Like he's starting to he's already starting to move away from us the song is already turning us against him a little bit because we know it's more serious than that yeah um which is such a cool thing like just (laughs) even there you know even those examples are just starting to fisher us a little bit against where we've been yeah and Bic comes right in again you know but this is never going to happen is it no man no and they're starting to work together again Mm mm-hmm which they did in the very, very beginning, but since then they've kind of been in these kind of little mini groupings and stuff. We're alive, are they gonna spread the word? We're alive, so come on, listen, listen, listen. There's another national anthem playing, not the one you cheer at the ballpark. Where's my prize? It slows down, mm-hmm. so you really hear that listen. Right. And then in the original, it's Bic. In the revival, it's the proprietor, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. either one of them can take the sort of lead of this song. Because um, Bic, having articulated that, that larger point about um, there's nobody looking after us. Right. You know, there's nobody concerned. There, there's no one, we're basically on our own here. Mm-hmm. It would make sense for him to take the voice here. But obviously, the proprietor will as well, because he's the one who's sort of been pr- pushing this from the beginning. And we have the first articulation of kind of the thesis of this whole show, which is there's another national anthem playing, not the one you cheer at the ballpark. Um, Basically that, you know, there are two Americas and there's another, it's a group. Um, It's not the, it's not the winners. It's not the people who, who had the American dream work out for them. And this becomes a, its own song. It's, it does sound like a dark shadow version of a national anthem. And it means that they're no longer just kind of individuals with their own weird reasons for having done this right. horrible thing who happen to be united by the fact that the people that they tried to assassinate were presidents. Mm-hmm. It's suddenly the articulation of a, of a philosophy mm-hmm. and, and the articulation of a problem, a united problem between them. So they've really, this is when they've started to form into something other than what we've seen. Here it is again, it says listen. So now we hear a different articulation of listen, which mm-hmm. we heard the whole time as kind of like, you have to listen to this show and these stories. Right. But now the assassins are saying, it says listen yeah. to the tune that keeps sounding in the distance. Right, you know? and in between that, it's kind of like them saying like, nobody's listening, nobody's yeah. listening. So like that's, seems like kind of like a connected exactly tissue. they've taken it they've kind of basically taken the the initial message of the show which is listen to all these people mm-hmm. and and made it their own yeah because they're saying now you have to listen to these people that you don't want to listen to mm-hmm. right um whereas when the balladeer first articulated it yeah. it was like listen to the story but right. things go wrong but they come back together and now they're basically saying like that's not the story. The story is that there are all these people mm-hmm. that you're not listening to. And the assassins are now saying they may not want to hear it, but they listen once they think it's going to stop the game. Mm-hmm. So now the assassins are starting to move to a, like, people listen, and they'll listen 
if you make them pay attention. Yeah. So it's gone from kind of like nobody listens to us, someone's got to listen, mm-hmm. how do you know, someone tell the story to oh wait. They'll listen if you make them listen. Right. So they're starting to kind of move into the second phase of the show, which is you need this horrible act just to make people pay attention to you. And the balladeer says you forgot how quick it heals that it's a place where you can make the lies come true. And his last line, I mean, he's our narrator, and this is the last, you know, if you try, that's all you have to do. And it's, he doesn't complete the line ever. He just is gone. And then they advance on the balladeer, forcing him off the stage is the stage direction. Um, and then after that, so he's now gone. So now it's completely shifted mm-hmm. to a full formal anthem, which they sing. You know, there's another national anthem. Um, like the other national anthem says to each and every fan, if you can't do what you want to, then you do the things you can. You've got to try again, mm-hmm. like they say. You know, yeah. So they've basically co-opted and totally flipped the American dream. Right. You know? And so now they are in control of this whole thing. They're the one who's driving it. They're the ones who have come up with this philosophy that we're about to see come to this very dark end in the next scene. Up until this point, they've all been individual stories about these kind of kooky things, mm-hmm. and some of it's comedic and some of it's sad. Some of it's not even told by them. Some, some of it's, it's not even told by them. Yeah. And, right. They're kind of, they're sort of enactors of their own history, but not mm-hmm. controllers of it in right. a way. Um, and now they've taken this message of America and of the American dream and they've completely taken over the narrative and they are a force with a philosophy, with an anthem. They have become the assassins really in a way that they had never been before. Well, there's another national anthem and I think it just began in the ballpark. called Something Wonderful, where we just talk about anything upcoming that we're excited about or something current that we want to give a shout out to Mm -hmm. um, in musical theater. Um, Yay! So fun (laughs) to talk about musicals! (laughs) I'm so in love with Hadestown right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so in love with Passing Through up at Goodspeed. Um, In terms of things coming up, I'm so excited that they just announced that Six was coming to Broadway. Yeah. I've never quite seen Buzz on a show like this. Yeah. Uh, considering it didn't have tons of life before right, I started seeing right. it pop up on people's Facebook feed. And those writers were both at a writer's colony at Goodspeed this past year, and they are both so smart and delightful and wonderful yeah. people. And it, that makes it even better that they're... Yeah, it's really great. Well, I have to give a shout-out to my own show. Well, it's kind of like a one-woman show slash cabaret show, that I did last year. It's called Not Coming Back, and I'm doing it again at the Duplex on September 16th. And then um, I'm do- also doing a concert of songs from my show with Hey Young Kim called Days of Rage. 
on October 25th at Green Room 42. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater. We'll answer your question on the season finale. Please also email if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at scenesong, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Thank you.